I didn't say I wanted to preach on that subject while the congregation was asleep. I'll preach as a dying man to dying men. We are getting our ideas from the Bible. We are taking the listeners for a swim in the text. We believe that only God makes a preacher, but we want to help him be more faithful. This is the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast with host, Pastor Rob Ginter. If you're new in town, we are a preaching podcast, a preaching podcast from the first verse to the last. Speaking of first, you might remember Answers in Genesis author and speaker Bodie Hodge. He was with us way back in episode 18, winning reading the beginning. And he's here with us today to remind us at what's at stake in preaching through the book of Genesis. You can find all of our archives. Go versebyverse.com slash podcast. That's the address for that. Let's dig into it today and become better expositors because we set this time aside. Bodie Hunt, welcome to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Hey, it's great to be back on with you. As a veteran of the podcast, we welcome you back. And today you are a part of a ministry called Answers in Genesis. So as an audience primarily made up of expositional preachers, if there's all those answers in Genesis, help us think through why we should preach verse by verse through the book of Genesis. We know uh, Genesis is a great place to start. Uh, Genesis literally means beginnings. And, uh, you know, so many doctrines are actually dependent upon Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 to 11. So that's an excellent place to start. You know, if you look back, that's where God started. So if we want to model after God, that's a great place to go. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are intimidated by the book of Genesis just because of what's going on in our culture. Uh, We're in a culture that deals uh, with a lot of evolution and a lot of evolutionary ideas. And a lot of kids are drilled with this. A lot of people are drilled with this. Uh, just in the general layman, a lot of students are drilled with it all the way up through a college level. And sometimes, you know, I think some, some pastors go, well, I don't know if I want to touch Genesis. I think I might just stay away from that. I don't want to dive into the controversies. You know what? Now is the best time to go through it. Just because most people don't realize how attacked the book of Genesis really is. It's come under attack, not just with creation. It's coming under attack with regards to the flood. It's coming under attack with regards to things like the Tower of Babel. So these types of situations really need uh, good, strong pastors to stand up and be proclaiming this uh, in a culture that's really attacking it. I want people to realize the secular side is really starting to dominate our culture. And we see that even in our local areas, from California to New York to right here in the Midwest, we see this all over the place. A secular humanistic culture is dominating things. It's dominating the media. It's dominating the museums. It's dominating the education. It's dominating politics. You name it, it's dominating it. And sadly, some of those secular ideas and philosophies are starting to infiltrate the church. And so sometimes what we need to do is we need to get back to the authority scripture starting with the very first verse. Uh, You know, as a, a gent who's been involved in creation ministry for a lot of years, I found Genesis to be one of the most attacked books in the whole of scripture. Uh, Let me just give you one practical example. The book of Genesis solves the race issue. You know the race issue that's all around us right now. There are people talking, well, there's uh, red people, yellow people, black people, white people, things like that. And they say, well, you know, uh, what can the Bible do about that? Actually, Genesis is the solution to that. There's only one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. There's one race, the human race. Yet we're in a culture where we've been conditioned to believe that there's a multitude of races. Now, how does that relate to Genesis? Well, here's what it is. In an evolutionary worldview, they have a multitude of races, some that are more evolved, some that are less evolved. These are the kind of things that Charles Darwin talked about 
in his book, The Descent of Man. It's his second book that was published in 1871. Early evolutionists like Ernst Haeckel would go so far as to label them and put the, uh, he put the Caucasians on top, what he considered the white Europeans. And these are the types of ideas that ultimately influence things like Nazism. But the problem is we see, and we've been conditioned to look at different people groups in the way the evolutionists have been teaching us to do this. So what we need to do is get back to Genesis. Hey, we all go back to Adam and Eve. We're all sinners. We're all in need of Jesus Christ, no matter what we look like. As you go through the flood, only eight people survive, Noah and his family. All of us ultimately go back to Noah. King's lists all around the world actually go back to one of Noah's sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons uh, over and over again. This is powerful confirmation of the scripture being true. But then you look at the Tower of Babel, and it explains why people look a little different in different parts of the world. When the gene pool was split apart at the Tower of Babel, we have some people going out to Asia, some going out to Australia, some going out to Africa, some going to Europe. What it did is it split the gene pool apart. People went out to the Orient, took genes for an almond-shaped eye. People went to Africa, took genes for darker skin. People went to Scandinavia, took genes for lighter skin. But we're all related, which means we're all sinners, and we all need to start looking out for each other. You see how Genesis... Going back and just like that helps solve a huge issue that's going on all around us right now, just in the United States. In fact, I've seen different forms of racism in different parts of the world. I've been to Sweden. I've seen some England. I've been down to Peru. I saw types. I've been to Australia. I've seen uh, uh, forms of racism down there, which would just shock you. But at the same time, the solution, whether you're in Australia or Sweden or the United States, is to go back to the book of Genesis. And I think we as Christians should be leading the fight against things like that, and Genesis is a great place to start. Now, that's just one study looking at Genesis 1 to 11. There's a host of others, and as you go verse by verse through Genesis, you'd be surprised how relevant it is to today's culture. The Ministry of Answers in Genesis has its newest attraction— being the Ark Encounter. And with that, help us understand why we need to understand the time of the flood. Well, I tell you what, the times of the flood are very similar to the times we have today. Uh, we've seen a lot of people rejecting God and his word. They're becoming more and more open about it. Um, you know, I mean, you see it in newspapers, you see it on Facebook. I mean, there's all sorts of attacks on God and his word. But uh, with regards to the flood, you go back to Noah's day. I mean, they got to a point where, where every thought was evil all the time. People were being violent, and they didn't think twice about it. I mean, Noah was found righteous in the eyes of God, and his family was saved from the flood. Uh, he was a preacher of righteousness, even. So we need to continue preaching righteousness. If you know anything about Noah, he was a, he was a preacher of righteousness before the flood. He was probably a preacher of righteousness after the flood, because pastors, they never retire. They just preach till they die, if you know anything about a lot of these pastors. Uh, but that's a great thing. But think about the flood. They had, Noah had to endure this kind of stuff in a very evil culture around him while at the same time being obedient to God and uh, building this ark uh, to save his family. Now, at the same time, look at the culture we're in. We're seeing the Bible come under attack left and right. Uh, just this past week, uh, uh, around this time, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen what's happened with John MacArthur out in California. You know, they've uh, put out this call to stop churches from, from even assembling. John MacArthur said, no, I'm going to continue uh, to go out there and preach. And now look what they're doing. They're threatening to arrest a pastor, a, a pastor who's pushing 80 years old, and they're threatening to arrest him. You see, something's going on in our culture. There is just an attack on God and his word, and there's an attack 
on the people who are following God in his word. And so I want to encourage pastors, actually. I want them to, to say, hey, hold on. Even though different cultures, whether it was back at the time of the early church having to deal with Rome and having to deal with some of the Greeks, you know, that were really attacking them, we need to stand firm on Scripture. We need to continue pastoring. We need to continue teaching. And uh, Genesis 1 to 11 is a prime place to get, get started with that. But I, I also want to throw something out there. I don't just want people to preach through Genesis and, and teach about all these foundational doctrines. I want you to connect it to the rest of the Scriptures you're doing it. You know, you talk about the fall. Let's connect that to the gospel. We're talking about the Tower of Babel where people groups uh, were split apart by their languages. Let's talk about Pentecost where you got to see the languages come together. I want to see those things connected back all the way through because throughout the rest of the scriptures, it ties right back into Genesis. I absolutely love the fact that the last two chapters of Revelation undoes what happens in the third chapter of Genesis with the removal of the curse. I mean, there's so many powerful connections in there. So don't just preach through Genesis. Connect it to the rest of the Bible, particularly with the gospel, because you never know who's going to be in your audience. And speaking of our audience, maybe encourage those um, who are preaching through and handling these scriptures and dealing with skeptics, because there are people who don't under, don't believe a six-day creation or a global flood. So how do we handle uh, the skeptics as we preach through these verses? Well, I mean, yeah, we've got to continue preaching. We need to continue standing on the authority of the Word of God. We need to do it respectfully. Um, you know, we're in a culture where a lot of people, they want to attack, attack, attack. And sometimes we just want to defend, defend, and defend. And then you walk away and you think, well, I hope I defended the Christian faith really well. At the same time, the skeptics walking back going, boy, I really put them on their back heels. Here's what I suggest too, though. Don't be afraid to have a go at the false foundation that the skeptic is standing on. In other words, try to pull the rug out from under them. Uh, not, not them literally. I'm talking about their viewpoint, their worldview, their religion. And, uh, you know, great ways of doing that is just to point out, you know, because I, I, let me give you an example. You know, I've had atheists come up and they say, uh, you know, I'm a reasoning person. You know, I believe in logic. I don't believe in God. You know, one of the first things I say is, well, you know, I'm made in the image of a logical reasoning God. The whole reason logic and reasoning exists is because uh, God upholds the world in a, in a logical state. That's actually a Christian doctrine from an atheistic perspective which is built on the religion of materialism. Atheism is a materialistic religion. In other words, let me explain that so people understand that before I hit this point really hard. Uh, in an atheistic worldview, they say everything is material. They say there's no, nothing that's spiritual, for example. In other words, God cannot exist in an atheistic worldview because they say there is nothing immaterial. Well, here's the problem. You have an atheist coming up trying to say that they believe in logic and reason. Well, what's the mass of logic and reasoning? Ah, that's a problem because it's not made out of matter. It's not made out of mass. Logic and reasoning is also abstract. It's not material either. So here you have an atheist from his own viewpoint trying to argue for something that his own religion cannot make sense of. An atheistic materialistic worldview cannot account for logic and reasoning. I know that's kind of deep. But see, a Christian viewpoint can. So when this atheist comes up and says they're doing that, what I'm doing is I'm pulling the rug out from under him saying, well, your worldview can't even make sense of logic and reasoning. You have to borrow from my Christianity. You have to borrow from a biblical worldview just to make sense of it. And see, that, instead of just defending, you're going on the offense. But you got to do it in a nice way. You have to do it in a respectful way. Make sure that you're not just attacking that person, that particular atheist, because they're also a person made in the image of God. We want to see them repent. What you want to do is you want to attack the false worldview that's taking them captive. 
so that they can, for the first time, look down and see their own foundation and go, wow, that's not a very good foundation, to get them to start questioning their atheistic worldview. When you start to get them to question that false worldview that they've been trapped under, guess what? The Holy Spirit can use that sort of thing to help open up their heart. So help us uh, or point us to some helpful resources on the book of Genesis. You know, I've got a number of books sitting here. One of the things that I do want to point out, just in light of your last question, is confound the critics. I actually wrote a book responding to people who are very hostile, very skeptical uh, toward God and his word. And so these are actual examples that people have sent to us, sometimes very nasty. I mean, in a few cases, there's just really good questions in here. But it shows you how to break it down, how to be logical, how to be biblical, and how to really challenge the skeptics. And at the same time, I try to present the gospel as many times as possible in that. So that's a powerful book, Confound the Critics. Um, But when it comes to creation, if you're dealing uh, with evolution millions of years over and over again, usually what's going to happen is the skeptics, the atheists, are going to use the same type of arguments over and over again. They're going to want to bring up uh, dinosaur-to-bird evolution. They're going to want to bring up antibiotic resistance or natural selection or mutation, and sometimes... Uh, you know, uh, you know, people who've gone through seminary or pastors, they've not studied some of the science, and I think they feel a little uncomfortable trying to deal with some of those arguments. So what we've got, we've got a book called Glasshouse, and if you look at the subtitle, Shattering the Myth of Evolution, and Ken Ham and myself, we're the general editors on this, you know, we contributed to the book, but we actually work with experts dealing with these different arguments that the atheists and the evolutionists have been putting together Uh, trying to attack Christianity with. So this is a good one. You know, 95% of these chapters, a a pastor, an elder, a deacon, even a Sunday school teacher can read these and go, I got it. Now I know how to respond to these types of arguments. So I want to encourage people to consider this one. Yeah, there might be a couple of arguments to get in there, going to be a little bit technical, but don't let that scare you. Uh, But that's a powerful thing uh, to read so that you're prepared So if you're, say, reading through Genesis, you're preaching through Genesis, and you have some skeptics come up, you're at least prepared to deal with with the arguments from a a, a logical, biblical, and a scientific perspective. All right. Uh, Thank you very much, Bodie Hodge. And we find ourselves again here in the lightning round. Uh, In your case, lightning does strike twice uh, because you (laughs) – because – they are not the same questions, so your you, uh, studying ahead of time has not been helpful. <laughs> uh, question number one, maybe give us a book that you would recommend that you didn't write that would be helpful for pastors or preachers. And I know you've given us several, but maybe give us a bonus Okay, let, let me give you one. It's called Coming to Grips with Genesis. Uh, this was actually done by Dr. Terry Mortensen and Dr. Thane Yuri. Uh, they are uh, theologians and historians, but they work with a group of people who have put together some of these top issues that are dealt with in the book of Genesis. So uh, it, it's a defense of the Genesis 5 and 11 genealogies, why you should reject millions of years and not buy into things like the Big Bang, millions of years, and evolutionary ideas. Um, what's Jesus's view of the age of the earth? How did Jesus and other Bible authors, how did they take the book of Genesis and so forth? This is powerful. This was specifically put together 
and written for theologians, for pastors, and for elders. So it's a powerful book. There's a lot of meat to it. Um, it is an excellent resource. In fact, um, uh, seminaries across uh, uh, the country and across the world uh, have really been diving into this book. It has become a powerful resource that's out there right now. All right. Can you repeat the name one more time for our listeners? Coming to Grips with Genesis. Hopefully my fingers are not in the way. And it's uh, Dr. Terry Mortensen and Dr. Thane Yuri. They're the editors. All right. Question number two. What is your favorite food? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to have to go with steak right now. Um you know what? I, I love to cook my own steaks. <laughs> the way I do it is better than just about any restaurant I've ever had. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I like a nice steak and potatoes. I grew up on a farm. Um, I've had people say, okay, Bodie, you get to heaven. You know, there's, there's no death. There's no suffering. So there's going to be no steak. But uh, I firmly believe that the 12 fruits on the tree of life, one's going to taste like bacon. One's going to taste like steak. One's going to taste like chicken. Uh, Got to have a little fun with this, right? <laughs> well, how do you do your steak? So, so how do you do your steak? Uh, are we talking sirloin, ribeye, fillet, New York strip, or what do you? How do you? How do you? Do you know, I, I like a variety of those. You know, it just depends on the day. Um, but yeah, I like to marinate them, and uh, I like to use a, a seasoning called Riley's, and that's tough to find. R I L E Y apostrophe S. It's actually coming out of Illinois, in the middle of nowhere, not too far from where I'm from. But it is an amazing. A bundle of spices on a steak. These are these are bo bonus questions, but um, well done, medium, make it moo. Um, I, I I usually don't like the pink. I mean, I can eat it with pink. You know, I grew up uh, eating it all sorts of ways, but uh, my preference is probably just about the point where the pink is starting to go away. Okay. I like it to caramelize a little bit on the on the surface too. So. Is that medium well or well? Yeah, somewhere in there, probably medium well. All right, and question number three, as somebody who's debated issues, this is once again another hot topic and debated. I mean, it's probably blowing, going to blow up the internet after this. Uh, is cereal considered soup? Why or why not? Hmm, it's a breakfast soup. How about that? <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Bodie Hodge, for joining us today on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. You bet. God bless you, Pastor Rob. Thank you for listening to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. You can find us online at goversebyverse.com.